0: I've struggled with taking climate action, and I've struggled for years. What can I, as an individual, do that would actually make a real, tangible, measurable difference for such a global problem with causes that are complicated, but ultimately rest with incredibly powerful oil, gas, and coal companies, and the politicians and governments and corporates who, together with them, represent a massive mountain of vested interests. So what can I, as an individual, do? But this is an important question because we need action plans. We need relentless optimism, and we need to keep at it for years. And this question of what I as an individual can do must be answered by as many of us as possible because it's the only way to fight climate anxiety. Climate anxiety is a very worrying thing. It's a big, big thing around the world. A recent survey of 10,000 people aged 16 to 25 around the world reported some alarming findings. 59% were either very or extremely worried about climate change, 84% were at least moderately worried, over 50% felt sad, anxious, angry, powerless, helpless, and guilty, and 45% said their feelings about climate change negatively affected their daily life. Finally, and interestingly, People rated the governmental response to climate change negatively and reported greater feelings of betrayal than of reassurance. And that really tells you all you need to know, right? Because it's not that surprising. Governments, politicians, institutions, companies have a clear and very transparent track record of over 30 years. And it goes like this. Today, in 2022, emissions are still rising. And that automatically means that they have failed. So I wanted to share with you today the five different ways I am using to take climate action. Welcome to episode 63 of the Angry Clean Energy Guy with me, Asad Razouk. I am so happy you're here. Thank you. So here we are, the five ways I am taking action. Three of them are out there in the public domain, but, and this is super exciting as far as I'm concerned, two are new and I'm sharing them for the first time on this episode 63. So first, I run a Singapore-headquartered renewable energy business entirely focused on deploying solar, wind, and batteries across Asia. That's pretty straightforward. There's a lot more information on what I do there on the web, and the business is called Gurren Energy. Let's call that action one can take where they are employed. The second thing I do to take climate action is I am a trustee of two amazing NGOs. One is called Client Earth, and Client Earth, for those of you who don't know them, uses the law to accelerate climate action. And the second NGO is called EB Impact, and it's focused on delivering training and programs to Asia Pacific's underserved communities, and God knows there are many, with a focus On youth to generate positive sustainable development impact. It's all about communicating knowledge to younger generations so that they know how to make a difference. So let's call that second way I am taking climate action as action one can take through NGOs. The third thing I am doing to take climate action is, as many of you know, I shout from the roofs about climate change and climate action on Twitter, on Facebook, on my LinkedIn page. And on this podcast, that's about relentlessly communicating facts, facts, and then some more facts, facts about the climate crisis, facts about greenwashing, but also facts about progress in climate action, positive climate news, facts about what's really going on in renewable energy. And I do that all in 240 characters or this 20 minute or so podcast. And let's call that way of taking climate action communicating about the climate crisis on a daily basis, every day, to frankly anybody who would listen. The fourth and fifth ways I am taking climate action are new. And I am very, sorry, make that super excited to share these for the very first time right here. First, I have a book coming out on 1 September. And it's called, perhaps unsurprisingly for those who know me, Saving the Planet Without the Bullshit. Yes, the B word made it into the title. It's published by Atlantic Books, and it will be at a bookstore near you in September. And I'm very sorry about that, but I had to write this book. Because I wanted a book which anyone can decide what chapter to turn to, written without any complicated jargon, And structured around what we do every day. So that's eating, drinking, living, traveling, investing. So for example, we ask ourselves, should I avoid using this plastic bag? Should I fly less? Should I get an electric bike? Am I buying too many clothes? Should I boycott palm oil? Are electric cars really good news? Should I bother to recycle? Is fish really sustainable? Is it ethical to eat my favorite burger, or must I go vegetarian? Have you also heard, for example, that you should plant trees to save the planet, or buy carbon offsets when you fly, or not have children even? So, in Saving the Planet Without the Bullshit, I try to answer all these questions in short, punchy chapters, each one of which works, for example, to spice up a family dinner conversation. And it's all about trying to clear a path through the noise surrounding our daily efforts to do the right thing for the climate, while also trying to care for our loved ones, to get an education, to succeed at work, to survive, and to thrive. And I like to think that the book is direct. It's written without scientific jargon. Anybody really from a 16-year-old onward can pick it up. And it's blunt. Why is it blunt? Because it's all about saving the planet without the bullshit. And you're definitely not going to be surprised if I told you that you can already pre-order my book pretty much anywhere you buy books before it hits the bookstores in September. And let's call that fourth way of taking climate action, communicating in long form, because it's a lot more than what you can say in 240 characters. So it's communicating in long form through articles, speeches, books, to clear a path through that noise surrounding our efforts every day to do the right thing for the climate. And now, the fifth and final thing I'm doing in terms of taking climate action is trying to answer the following question. What can literally hundreds of millions of people do to take concrete climate action which they can track and measure if they're fed up with the inaction by their government's politicians and businesses, and if they're tired of greenwashing, and what can they do which is within both their means and the time that they have? Well, guess what? There's no easy answers for that one. I've been thinking about it for over four years when I first founded the Renewum Institute, a not-for-profit based in Singapore. Four years later, Renewum.com is here, and it does, in my view, what it says on the tin. It enables potentially hundreds of millions of people, us, to take direct citizen climate action in a transparent, accountable, and tangible way, all starting with just $5. And it does what it says on the tin because it routes that $5 directly to renewable energy projects around the world, allowing their developers to do a lot more and faster than what they are doing at the moment. It's also a tool which in the future can drive citizen climate action to scale up plastic replacement, for example, or clean up the oceans. But for now, it's focused on sending a wall of money to accelerate renewable energy deployment around the world. Why? Renewables displacing fossil fuels is not only imperative, it's also core to the fight back against climate change. Let me digress here for a moment and talk about a groundbreaking Oxford University paper from October 2021 entitled Empirically Grounded Technology Forecasts and the Energy Transition. But if you get through that title and actually read it, you'll see that it deserves much more airtime. That Oxford University paper simply overturns the common thinking that decarbonizing, so moving all of us to clean lifestyles, will be hugely Expensive. And instead, it shows that in fact, decarbonizing will save us 14 to 26 trillion dollars. Trillion, not billion, not million, trillion. And it also shows how renewable energy can displace fossil fuels much faster than people currently think. So that groundbreaking Oxford University paper begins by showing that the prices of fossil fuels, like coal, oil, and gas, are volatile. They go up and down. But after adjusting for inflation, guess what? They're still very similar to what they were 140 years ago. And we continue to be ripped off. By contrast, I should point out that the price of sun, wind, and water is zero. That fuel doesn't cost anything, and that is forever. So the Oxford paper also shows that if solar, wind, batteries, and hydrogen continue to follow their current exponentially increasing deployment trends, we achieve a near net zero emissions energy system within 25 years or less, having therefore fought back effectively to the extent that we can today against global warming. And the reason I say to the extent that we can today is because some global warming, probably 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial times, is already baked in. However, even though it's already baked in, every 0.1 degrees Celsius matters. Because a world at 2.6 degrees Celsius of heating above pre-industrial times is a much worse world than one at 2.5 degrees Celsius and so on. The Oxford researchers then digress slightly, just like I'm doing now, and they show that about 3,000, 3, past projections of renewable costs have been too high. So there are 3,000 predictions of solar and wind and battery costs that concluded wrongly that the future prices were going to be X, Y, and Z when in fact they turned out to be cheaper. These papers predicted an annual rate at which solar costs, for example, would fall between 2010 and 2020 of 2.6%. What was actual 15% per year? And that is a critical finding because if you think about it, these forecasts have a central role in guiding energy investments and climate policy. That's what governments read. That's what multilateral banks read. That's what politicians read. That's what think tanks read. So when you have a systemic bias at that scale in modeling projections, that is nothing short of alarming because you underinvest in critical emission reduction tech and you lock in higher cost energy infrastructure for decades. And guess what? This is exactly what we're doing today with the Ukraine war. I mean, a fossil fuel war, if there ever was one. And what are we doing? Big oil and politicians are instead doubling down on fossil fuels, putting in very expensive infrastructure on the ground, which will survive for decades, instead of sending Every penny to energy efficiency, every penny to renewable energy, every penny to changing everybody's gas boilers, and so on. The waste is just incredible. So now back to the Oxford paper. It's got a crystal clear, fast transition scenario, i.e. what we need to do to get renewable deployment acceleration going at such a pace that we would just have Almost no more oil, gas, and coal within 25 years. And so in the Oxford fast transition scenario, they show that we need first and foremost for renewables to become dominant. We also can achieve short-term storage and electrification of most transport with batteries and then use long-term storage and all hard-to-electrify applications by what they call power-to-X fuels. And power-to-X is using electricity for hydrogen electrolysis and then either directly using hydrogen or using it to make something else like ammonia and methane. That's how you can power steel, cement, boats, etc. And so the Oxford University fast transition scenario is really like an electrify almost everything scenario. You want almost all energy services to originate with electricity generated by solar and wind. And then you want to make derivatives from that, such as this power to X fuels or using batteries when it's impractical to use renewables directly. And to close on the Oxford paper, if the question is whether there's a path forward that gets us to zero carbon cheaply and quickly, that paper's emphatic answer is yes. And frankly, this fast transition scenario should be the only job at every government meeting focused on the climate emergency. And remember what I said earlier, this all actually saves us $14 to $26 trillion. And that's before accounting for any climate damage whatsoever. But you know what? We can help too. We, the citizens. We can send a wall of money to renewable energy developers around the world. And that's why Renewem is here. Now, let me explain Renewum very briefly. And there's a lot more information on Renewum.com if you want to know more. So, as I said, at its core, it's a tool to send money where it's needed the most in order to effect direct action on climate change. Why? Because it gives anybody the chance to take matters into their own hands. You don't have to actually ask any government or politicians or your employer or anybody else for permission. And if any of us do it, we help make the Oxford fast transition scenario happen. Because right now, it's not happening. You can go to episode 62 of the Angry Clean Energy Guy, for example, to get more details about what I said before. Which is how big oil hijacked the Ukraine war to make sure a lot more new oil and gas infrastructure is built. And I itemized quite a bit of that in that episode 62. So back to Renewum. In essence, Renewum is a platform where any renewable energy project anywhere can connect to. So that's solar or wind or geothermal. Once the project connects to Renewum's platform, it is basically uploading quasi-real-time renewable energy production to the cloud. So it's uploading how much solar and wind energy it is generating and selling into a grid. Renewum then downloads that information on the blockchain to stamp its origin, time, and other characteristics permanently and in a way that cannot be tampered with. And Renewum does that megawatt hour by Megawatt hour. So it's digitizing that renewable energy production. For those of you who don't have a sense of what a megawatt hour might mean, an American uses 73 megawatt hours of energy per year. An Australian uses 60 megawatt hours of energy per year. A Singaporean uses a whopping 162 megawatt hours of energy per year. A German uses 40. A British uses 28, and Renewum digitizes the renewable energy production of any solar or wind or geothermal project anywhere in the world, megawatt hour by megawatt hour, so that each megawatt hour is stamped and can no longer be tampered with in terms of what fuel was used to generate it, exactly where it was generated, and at what time it was generated, and so on. Renewum then turns around and issues projects a token for each megawatt hour that they've generated. And these tokens are then offered on renewum.com to citizens, households, companies, blockchain businesses, and anyone else who wants to contribute directly to scaling renewable energy deployment and green their own fossil fuel or electricity use from oil, gas, or coal at the same time. And I'll explain that. Very briefly. So projects connect to the platform. The platform reads their renewable energy production and certifies that production via the blockchain and then gives them a token to the projects, to solar power projects in Vietnam or Chile or South Africa or Kenya or wherever, for each megawatt hour that they have generated and sold. If somebody buys a renewed token on Renewum.com for $5 per megawatt hours, that money goes back to the project and the project can use it to do more than what they are doing currently. And I'll come back to that in a second. At the same time, the buyer of that token is not able to sell it or trade it because Renewum.com automatically burns that token and cancels it. And the reason we do that is because that is how you Anyone paying those $5 greens their own fossil fuel use. So back to that Australian using 60 megawatt hours of energy per year or the American using 73 megawatt hours of energy per year. Let's say that 50% of that, and that's generous on, on my part, comes from renewable energy. So if the Australian who uses 60 megawatt hours per year actually buys Thirty tokens, then that person would have greened a hundred percent of the electricity or energy that they've used, which came from oil, gas, and coal, and so the tokens aren't there to be traded or sold they're automatically burned or canceled, if you prefer, to deliver that greening, and in return, the buyer of the token gets an nFT, which is really. At that point, a verified green receipt featuring artwork, which is inspired by climate change narratives. And then that NFT, you can keep it, you can sell it, you can gift it, you can do whatever you want with it. And you can see how if enough of us do this, we would vote with our wallets, irrespective pretty much of the size of the wallets, and each with what they can afford on the future of the energy transition and we would vote directly without intermediation because we would be deploying capital directly to power renewables faster and right now. And that's a lot better than waiting in vain for governments to scale climate action. Now, as I said, there's a lot more information on Reum.com, and I've shared with you the essence of what the project is. And to put these numbers in perspective... A typical renewable energy project around the world, and I'm generalizing widely, sells solar or wind power for 10 to $20 per megawatt hour. So when we send them an extra $5 per megawatt hour, we are making a material contribution to their investment budgets, and they can in turn do much more faster than they are able to otherwise. Thank you so much for staying with me this far. Climate change is not a topic where we can afford to be despondent and then sit on the sidelines because in reality there's no alternative for pushing every day so that as many of us as possible take some form of climate action each of course within the bounds of what they are able to do. As I said before, that's because degrees Celsius of global warming can make an enormous difference. So individual action matters, and it matters enormously. And so to bring all of this podcast together, we can take individual climate action in lots of ways. We can take action where we're employed. That's what I do in my job. We can take action through NGOs. And that's what I do at Client Earth and EB Impact. We can take action by communicating daily and via many other communication means. And that's what I do on social media. But that's also what I'm doing with my new book, Saving the Planet Without the Bullshit. And finally, we can take action by launching new stuff. So platforms where anybody and anyone else can use to take climate action. And that's what I'm trying to do with Renewum, where I should add, I am a founder and a non executive, but have an amazing team led by my co founder, Brianna Welsh, who is driving it every day. And I always try and remember why we need to do all this. We have to resist oil, gas, and coal companies trying to shift the burden of what they have caused to us individuals. Instead, we must compel them to assume their immensely larger responsibility. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. 63 of the Angry Clean Energy Guy with me, Asad Razouk, and have a great couple of weeks.